Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I spent a lot of time yesterday thinking about that deal reached by Unifor. Ford workers aren't going to be walking off the job in Canada anyway. Uh, they are off the job in the United States, as you know. But um, this weekend, Uniform members ratified what I can only describe as an incredibly generous deal from Ford. Massive increases by any measure, I would think. Uh, and just as mystifying to me is the fact that only 54% of workers voted in favor of this deal. I don't know what more they could possibly have been hoping for. But nonetheless, a deal has been reached. So let's get some insight on a deal that was reached and, and what, you know, how, maybe I'm out to lunch. Maybe it's not that extraordinary. We're going to chat with Charles Smith, an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at St. Thomas More College at the University of Saskatchewan. Charles, uh, thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. Hey, Shay, good to be here. You know, the numbers in this deal, to my thinking, are they're mind-boggling. I mean, extraordinary for sure. I mean, do you agree? To me, it looks like the union won a, an all-time great deal for their membership. So I think it is a good deal, uh, but I think it's not a great deal. And really? here, here's why. I think you need to put it into context of the last 20 years or so and with what's happening in the United States right now. So the context behind the deal is that Unifor with the big three here in Canada since the 2007 economic crisis has given a lot of concessions at the bargaining table to the employer with regards to wages and to uh, sort of a tiered structure inside the union, meaning that, you know, earlier employees make less than senior employees based on, you know, it's kind of complicated, but nevertheless, that tiered structure is something that was a concession around 2007 because of the crisis that occurred then. And then in the context of a higher cost of living, uh, you know, now, but also wages are not kept up with inflation for the last 20 years or so. And now we're living in this period of unprecedented, at least in the last 35 years or so in terms of inflationary pushes. Yeah. And then on top of that, Shay, you've got, you know, the UAW, um, you know, sort of really drawing a line in the sand about, this contract is going to be a you know a generation maker. So all of that I think is playing into um, the expectations of Unifor workers. So on the one hand, there's no question this is an incredible deal. On the other hand, I think a lot of Unifor workers were, were listening to some of the the rhetoric coming from the UAW and saying, wait a second, I think we could do a lot better. And there is a gamble here, right? The Unifor leadership didn't communicate their demands very well to the public, so it's not clear what they were hoping for and what they conceded to. And then on the other hand, the uniform workers are saying, well, could we have held up for more? And we're seeing that in the U.S. And I think that's playing part of the 54% support, yeah. you know, a bare majority. So I, I think it's a good contract. There's no question. Look, the numbers say you're absolutely right. Like there's significant wage increases. There's a bit of a COLA clause. There's a clawback a little bit in some of the, the tiered wage structure. Um, but I think there was expectations that they could have been more. That's mind-blowing to me. I mean, they got 10% the first year, 2%, 3%, $10,000 bonus, paid holidays. You think there's a potential to even have gotten more out of there, really, hey? 
Well, don't forget, the last 20 years, they've uh, they've agreed to contracts below inflation. So they're farther behind today than they were in 2007. I think that's playing into the dynamic as well. Plus the immediate cost of living. Listen, I'm not going to deny with what you just said, Shay, that this yeah. is a significant wage increase uh, given the times we live in. Although I would point, point out that, you know, the next two years could be below the cost of living. And I think that's definitely something the membership uh, was critical of. Again, I think it's about expectations versus reality. And I think there was an expectation that there would be an end to this tiered structure, uh, that the COLA clause would have, would affect the cost of living and so on and so forth. So, again, I'm not going to deny a uh, disagree yeah, with yeah. you. I think there's just this idea of expectations versus um, reality. So going forward, uh, and of course, this is step one, and the unions made it very clear, this is this is our starting point, because we've got other negotiations coming up with GM, we've got negotiations with Stellantis. Like you say, the American auto workers are off the job, so this was sort of seen as a template. This was a starting point. So what do you think this means as this unfolds? Is it, You're not going to go lower than this, I wouldn't think, right? No, absolutely not. I mean, this will definitely be the pattern. This is why they picked Ford. I mean, this has been historically what the UAW, sorry, the UAW, then the CAW, now Unifor has done. They choose uh, a pattern setter, and then they go after that pattern, and then they that's the base. And this is a very historically significant sort of way they've been bargaining. The UAW is doing something different now. They've targeted all three at the same time, which is rare. Um, and again, I think we're seeing that dynamic dynamic at play. But if you're General Motors and you're going to bargaining right now, this has to be the the pattern that they're yeah. looking to, yeah. to set. And maybe General Motors is saying one of two things: this is something we can do, and we're going to match it. Or you know, we're more worried about what's happening in the U.S. and we're going to accept this because we think actually we're going to have to pay a lot more in the U.S. So this interesting dynamic between Canada, U.S. auto workers right now and the big three is playing, I think, a major factor in how these negotiations are playing out. A lot of discussion as well around um, what other, not just you know, union workers are looking at, but we saw the poll that came out that said 72% of Americans um, feel favorably towards unions at this point in time, more so than they have since the 1960s, because like you say, cost of living, I mean, we're all dealing with it. So they sort of think like, go unions, you're, you're fighting this fight for all of us because, you know, we'll all sort of be dragged along by what you're doing when it comes to wages. So um, when you see a deal like this, is that kind of thinking, not only among unions, but just generally speaking, there's a big catch up that has to be done? Yeah, I think that right now unions are on the front lines of fighting for, you know, COLA clauses, cost of living allowance increases, higher wages, um, you know, and we've gone through an unprecedented stage of corporate profitability in the last 30 years in terms, especially in the sectors where unions are now fighting and where they're left. I mean, don't forget, we've seen a massive decline in private sector unionization density uh, as manufacturing has declined in in North America and, and moved offshore. And part of that is playing catch up. Part of that is addressing the, the massive declines in working class incomes over the past 20 years and the sort of corresponding rise in profitability among some of these very profitable corporations. And, you know, CEO pay and these sort of things play into that dynamic a- as well. Um, we've never had such a disparity between the wealthiest and the poorest yeah. since the Second World War, Shay, in North America. And I think all of that is playing into the dynamic that you're seeing. And unions are one of the main private sector institutions, private institutions to help alleviate that. And I think that's why we're seeing an increase in cost. Like it was amazing to me, just as an example, when the education workers in Ontario went out on strike, and I think the conservative government there was expecting that the parents would side with it of trying to keep schools open after the pandemic. And we saw poll after poll show public support for those strikes, which was surprising, I think, given the context of how it's set up. And we're sort of seeing that same pattern across North America uh, for all the reasons we've talked about.
So, I mean, Ford, obviously, they, they, they made this offer. I mean, it's going to cost them. Uh, what do you think other businesses? I mean, sure, unions are looking at this and saying, hey, way to go, nice win. Uh, what about um, other businesses, other industry, other companies? Are they looking at this and going, holy cow, if this is the expectation, we've we got some work to do here. Right. So I'm not an expert in the broader auto sector. Yeah. It's a complex sector, but certainly like the parts sector and all of the sort of businesses that fly are, uh, you know, are, 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 like, are very much dependent upon the big three uh, production, especially in southern Ontario sure. and Michigan and Ohio and Indiana and those places. I think definitely that will def- that will definitely be part of negotiations with the unions that remain in those sectors. So that's definitely going to play a role. But don't forget, I mean, these auto workers are also thinking about the transition to EVs and how that's going to play out. And I know there's a lot of there's a lot of anxiety about what in the next generation of car production and auto production will look like. And I think these types of patterns are are hopefully going to set a pattern for workers to stay on the job because again, they're always concerned about you know automation and you know machines taking over assembly line production of course, yeah. and all of those sort of insights as, as these big automakers transition to EV production away from sort of fuel combustion engines. Again, I'm, I'm stretching the limits of my knowledge of the auto yeah, sector enough. in that way, but, but nevertheless, I think that's very much at the center of, of these negotiations and the transition to EVs. So that's part of it. And I think it will bleed over in other sectors. Certainly the steel workers are going to be watching this closely, the machinists, uh, the trades all tied into these productions. So, Certainly that will play a role. But auto is, again, a bit unique in the private sector. They've always been one of the pattern setters with regards to wages and benefits. Uh, and I think that also is part of the what we're seeing today as well. Yeah, it really is an interesting time. Uh, Charles, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your insight. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. I'm a little nervous about my CPP contribution, Shay, so help me out with that. Okay, uh, take it easier over there uh, with our uh, public pensions. But i got a bunch of people on the phones that want to talk about it, so we're going to get right back into it, Charles. Good luck with that discussion. That's going to be complicated. Good luck to you. Yeah, talk Thanks to you very soon. much. We'll see you later. That's Charles Smith, who's an associate prof in the Department of Political Science at St. Thomas More College, University of Saskatchewan.